the church. This morning as we head into, into the lesson, I want to put a picture in front of you. It's a beautiful one, if you like that sort of thing. I'm not sure, but I suspect this used to be a lake. Have you ever seen anything like that? We lived in Lubbock, Texas, before we moved here. And there was like a three-year or maybe a 28-year drought, you know, in Texas. Texas is the desert. Uh, it generally rains 18 inches a year in, in Lubbock, Texas. And those two days are not worth being there. Um, but uh, that, the, there was about, a, I think, a 14-month period where it did not rain once. Uh, not once at all. And there are these, there's these things in, in Lubbock, Texas called Playa Lakes. There are little depressions in the ground um, where the, the water goes because te- uh, Lubbock, Texas is so flat that the water really has nowhere to go. So if it weren't for the playas, you know, if it did rain, you'd step out into a swamp every single day. So it settles into those playas and it stays there. And uh, they're pretty. They're nice to look at. You know, there's, I don't know, 50 or so of them in the, in the city. They dried up. The folks who had lived in the city for years said, I've never seen the playas go away like this. They looked like that. When the playas dried up, they, they were like four feet deep. They looked like that. And there's something just achingly awful in there about an empty lake. About a place dried up. Where you know there's supposed to be life and beauty. Trees don't generally grow unless there's water. I'm, I'm not a, a biologist. But I'm pretty sure of that. I'm pretty sure that that tree, when it grew, when it was alive, it had something to feed on. I don't know, there may actually still be water right there. If you dug down a ways, you might be able to find some, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe the tree's telling us something. A corpse. All right, well, let's go in peace. <laughs> Come with that happy message this morning. We live in a world like that, dried up, broken, ruined. The best of times in this broken world are marked by the troubles of the times in this broken world. If you live long enough, you encounter, you encounter the dry riverbeds, the empty lakes. Some of you are living in one right now. A place without water where everything feels dry, empty, sad. This is not the world as it was made to be, is it? There, there's something in our hearts that just senses things are wrong here. Things are out of joint. They're not right. You feel it at every funeral. Anytime you go to a funeral, why do we get so sad at funerals? After all, it's super common. And it's the one thing that you can absolutely count on about human life is that it's going to end. It shouldn't come as a shock to any of us when it does because we've seen it. How many times have you seen it? And yet, stand at a grave and tell somebody that And they'll be like, what? Don't tell me that. Because it feels wrong. We know it's wrong. We know this is not the world as it's meant to be. This world that we live in. 
marked by pain and sorrow and mourning and crying and tears. Tears enough, it seems like it ought to fill that lake back up. And then, of course, there are all the smaller deaths and disappointments that we run into. Times when we fail, when our job doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go, when, our, when things don't work out, when our relationships don't go the way that we thought they were headed, and, and things that we expected don't happen. When we look into our own selves and we encounter the perplexing reality of our sin, you ever been just really disappointed in yourself? Why did I do that? It's not, it's not who I want to be. Why is that part of my life now? What do I do with that? And so we stand as the remnants of ruined people and the remnants of a ruined world. And that is where we live. And yet, you know, when I look into my Bible, I look into my faith, I run into these promises of a world remade, renewed, restored, fixed. The lake filled back up. The dead tree green again. In the curse that falls upon the earth in Genesis chapter 3, when God curses the earth, He says it's going to bring forward thorn and thistle. But Isaiah talks about a world where thorn and thistle are replaced with these beautiful trees, crepe myrtle and, and cypress, these gorgeous, wonderful trees, useful and beautiful. A world fixed. The prophets will talk about the one who reaps overtaking the one who sows because the earth cooperates with us so much that we can't keep up with it. Not a frustrated world, but a blessing world. Not a perplexing world. Not a sad and and a despairing world, but one beautiful and wonderful. And yet, is that what we encounter? Don't you kind of feel this and long for this? Folks, if our faith is true, and I've kind of staked my life on it, I believe it. If our faith is true, then we live in a place of disjunctive conjunction. You're welcome. (laughs) That's a grammatical term. Do you know what a disjunctive conjunction is? Uh, where, you know, a conjunction, you know, the, you know the song, right? Conjunction, junction, what's your... Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Hooking up phrases and words and clauses. Yeah, we bring those in. And so, a, that's a conjunction. What's a disjunctive conjunction? What does that mean? Well, what's that? Okay, well, a dis- yeah, no, that's right. It, it junctses the junction all up. Right. It's where you bring together two things that aren't like one another and you set them side by side. And the word that we use to do that is that one. The sermon title's not a mistake. Uh, it's not like we ran out of ink either. We're looking this morning at the most powerful disjunctive conjunction ever where two things, two 
not, not just two phrases brought together, or two ideas brought together, two cosmic realities brought together. The reality of the world that we know and the reality of the world that will be brought together at the same time and encountered in the Scripture of God. In these words. But, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the Teals left town today. They're heading back to Honduras. I know that because I got to get up at 4 a.m., and go take them to the airport. Uh, y'all look a little funny, honestly, because I haven't had quite enough sleep, and I'm just a little bit loopy. Do you know that there is a 4 a.m.? There are two 4 a.m.s every day. I mean, fours every day. There's a 4 p.m. and there's a 4 a.m. Who knew? Why? Why do we need that other one? I don't know, but you know, I, I think I got up before the angels did this morning. But as I prayed with Steve Teal this morning before we put him on the plane to head back, we talked this morning about the reality of what happened at right that time. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, everything changed. And suddenly the world as it will be came to the world as it is, and you now live in that world with overlapping realities. These two truths have come together for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we who live in Jesus Christ, we live in all of the frustration. We live as people of the broken world, as people of the dry lake, as people of the empty hope. We live as in, 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 this, in the midst of this damaged and destroyed universe. And yet, we do it also as people of the resurrection. People of renewed hope. People of life from the dead. People where it's all conquered and so we can live in a hopeless world with a hope inside of us that nothing can take away. Those two realities are superimposed on top of one another. I have a Macintosh computer. When I built this slide, I reduced the opacity of one of those images so that you could see right through it and you could see the other world. I put that in front of you because it's like we look at this world that we live in. By the way, uh, Macintosh will do that. Right now in the back room, Jonathan is chewing on his tongue. But it, uh, we look at the world through this pane of, of glass or pane of ice. When you were a little kid, did you ever go up to a puddle and, and pick up the ice off the puddle? You know, I don't know if people in the South even do that. I grew up in Iowa uh, where you could go and you could break around the edges. You could pick up the ice and you could look through it and the ice was all wobbly. You could see the world and look through it and see it and look through it, you know, and, and it's kind of, it changes the image. Imagine if that piece of, of ice brought everything into focus instead of sending it out of focus. This is the world we live in. Where the resurrection is there and you can look at the world through it. And even though you're still looking at the dry riverbed, you can see the water. Even though you see the dead tree, at the same time you see the living one. Even though you see the dead you, you see the living you. Even though you see the broken world, you see the world renewed because it has happened. Not something that's going to happen, something that has come upon us. The text includes both worlds. The one world is marked by this. 
Halloween, so I thought I'd find the creepiest graveyard that I could. But it's marked by death. And it's marked by sin. The two realities that you cannot do anything about, you just can't. Not on your own. Who here cannot die by force of willpower? It doesn't work, does it? I'm going to not die because I don't want to. No, you know, even just five years ago, I didn't need these. Just five years ago. The decay is already upon me. It's already hitting me. It's already, and, and many of you, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We cannot stop death. And death is the darkness that throws its, its, its shadow and its cloak over all of us. The great problem that none of us can solve. And then, of course, there's, to my mind, the, the worse one. Because death, you might have hope that death is just a doorway to something else, but there's no making anything else of sin. If you've ever looked at yourself and, and come to terms with the reality that you cannot stop this, you cannot change this, you cannot fix this, it has hold of you, it is in you, and unless something comes from the outside to help you, you're going nowhere. Well, that's the dry lake bed. The world marked by sin and death. And when we look into our text this morning, we encounter them both. But in the the text also is this other world. A world of empty graves instead of filled up graves. And a world that cries out, holy, holy. And by the way, there's a third holy. I just couldn't fit in on this line. A, A world where not only do we cry that out about God, but we cry it out because of what God has done in us where we ourselves become creatures that don't sin. That's the new world, and that's what's coming. We live in this disjunctive existence. In between them both. We live still encountering sin, don't we? And we live still encountering death. We live with all of the disappointments and the sorrows and the sicknesses. And you know what? Christianity doesn't lie to you and tell you you have to pretend like that's not true. I've met Christians who did. I, I knew somebody who had a loved one die. And they're like, isn't it great? And I'm like, no. No, it's not. I mean, is it great that they're saved? Yes, absolutely. Is it great that they're dead? No, it is not. It's, it's great and wonderful that there will be a resurrection. But Christianity doesn't say, hey, pretend that your sorrow is not sorrow. Pretend that the world is not broken. It doesn't tell you that tells you the world is in the process of being unbroken. And so even though you live in the broken place, you don't grieve as others do who have no hope. You grieve in hope. You encounter the broken world in hope. And so you hold those two realities together and you're able to hold them both because they have been given to you. The one by your ancient parents, Adam and Eve, who broke the world in the first place, and the other by God who redeemed it for you. That's where we live. So let's see them both in the text. This is uh, actually the end of Luke chapter 23, if you want to look with me there. It says, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. That's Jesus' body, by the way. The hope of the world dead and gone. The ultimate dry lake bed. If there was ever a hope for the world, it was that guy. 
And as you're reading through the Gospel, you see how beautiful and wonderful He is, and you think, this is great. He's going to be great. Now He's gone. I hope the world died with Him. And I want you to notice in the text, both of the big problems that humanity face are found right there. Then they returned and they prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Death. They returned and they prepared spices and ointments. Why are they doing that? They're preparing them to go back when Sabbath is over and take care of His body. It's the best they can do. It's the best that we can do. We gather around at funerals and we show honor to the one who's gone, but that's all we can do for them. We can honor them, we can care for them, and then we can care for ourselves. But we live in a world where the best that we can do is to prepare spices and ointments. Where that hopelessness, where that power, it throws its shadow over us. And that's where they are. And then, of course, they live in a world where Sabbath law is required. Not where we live in natural union with God and we want to spend time with God, but we have to be told, hey, quit working. Wake up and pay attention to God. That's humanity as we know it. That's humanity as we experience it. And so law is required to stop us and to lead us back to ourselves. Why? Because we're broken. And they're both right there. And that's the world that they live in. And that's the world Jesus died in. But. And see, that's the world that we live in too, isn't it? The world of pains, the world of troubles, the world of disappointments and sorrows. You go through this, don't you? But. But. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the other world came crashing in. The water flooded back into the, into the lake. The hope of the world was revived. The dead tree bore leaves. The dead man breathed and got up and walked away. And we have a hope that is renewed. But on the first day of the work at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They're carrying with them the old world. They're going to the place of the new world carrying with them the old. Expecting to just go along because that's what you expect. You think when you go to a grave, you're going to find the person you put there. You know, my dad is in a grave in Tennessee and every time I go to that place in Tennessee, I don't find him. I mean, I guess if I brought a shovel, I could encounter him. He's still there. And that's what they're anticipating. They're expecting to find the dead body, but when they get there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord. Now, if you'd done that, what's your first thought? What do you figure? What's happened? Somebody took it. That's right. You don't think what actually happened. You figure somebody took it. Why? Because you live in the old world. And so do they. And when people from the old world encounter the God of the new one, I tell you, it, it messes us up. You know, we, we like to think that the resurrection means, oh man, smooth sailing. Listen, when God actually steps into your life, you can expect it to be pretty rough. Because when this happens, they go through an emotional storm. 
Okay? Listen to the emotion words that are in the next few things. While they were perplexed about this, the whole two men stood by them. We'll get to the two men in a second. Their first response is to be perplexed. Have you ever been there? Where you look at the action of God and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? Where you just don't understand it? You can't figure Him out? What is He doing? And sometimes that's when life is really hard and sometimes that's when it's totally un- unexpectedly good. But you're like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know how to interpret it. Because when the other world comes upon us, it surprises us, it upends things, and it leaves us perplexed. You have to be led into a proper interpretation of it or you're going to be confused. And not just confused. As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, those two men just show up. I wonder if they just went, bing! In fact, I kind of wonder if there was a sound that went, bing! when they showed up. you know. But they just show up in these dazzling apparel. And... And while they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among them? We'll get to that in a second. But do you see that? What is their response to the resurrection? It's fear. They're afraid. Why? Well, listen, in the old world, you're not sure whether God can be trusted. When you live your life beside a dry lake bed, when you live your life inside of a world that is typified by a dried out remnants of a ruined world, can God be trusted? Bad stuff happens to me all the time. Does it happen to you? There are days when I get up and I just have this persistent sorrow sitting on my shoulders. And I wonder if I can keep going. Have you been there? That's life in the old world. And it makes perfect sense in an old world life. And when you encounter a moment with God, have you had one of those? Where the God of joy comes storming in on you and He's filled with laughter while you're filled with sorrow? It can be downright terrifying, frightening, upending everything. It doesn't make any sense and It's because you aren't inhabiting the new world. And when we let the old world run us, when the new world comes crashing in, it is confusing as all get out, and it's terrifying. And that's where they are. Look, what happened with Jesus makes perfect sense from a new world perspective. I mean, it's not hard to understand. You get it. Everyone who first read the Scriptures has read Jesus talk about it. Look, I'm going to get up out of the ground. And so they know what's happening. You knew what was happening when you read the text. But if you experienced it, I bet you'd have been just as terrified. I think I would have been. Because I live... It's one thing to see it in the Word. It's another thing to see it in life. You've been there though, haven't you? You've stood with these women in the dark wondering what's going on and being terrified and afraid of God. But in the new world, God absolutely can be trusted. It's one of the most profound things that this event says. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what pain you've gone through, no matter how long you've sat beside the empty bed of a dead lake with the tears are the only water you know, no matter how long you've been there, when the new world comes upon you, He absolutely can be trusted. No matter what happens in this broken world. Because the broken world still goes on. 
we do still experience it. It's still a mess here. But we don't have to be afraid. Because the new has come. And so the, the two men, very definitely angels, talking to them, they preach to them. First time the Gospel's ever preached comes from the mouth of an angel who says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how He told you when He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. And folks, that's the power that delivers us from the one world to the other. It's the power of the Word of God taking root in us. It is the Word of God that allows us to see things and to hold up that pane of ice and to see things as they truly are and to be able to say, I don't have to be afraid. I have a mighty God. And no matter what the dead world throws at me, the living God will defend me. No matter what comes my way, He will rescue. He already has. The new world has begun. It has started. And in the Word of God, I am alive. And so as they reflect on the Word of God, it totally changes who they are and how they're standing there. Fear is gone. They remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but the words seemed an idle tale and they did not believe them. Now, there's not an emotion word written there, but there's plenty of emotion in that, isn't there? How frustrated do you suppose they were? And you guys have been walking with him. We came here and told him. You know what? He told us the truth. He said he was going to die and raise on the third day. And guess what? It's been three days. And guess what? He's alive. And they're like, you people are crazy. You know, in the ancient world, uh, women were not allowed to give testimony in court. You know, in ancient Judaism, a woman couldn't be a witness, even if she had been standing right there. And one of the great things about our God is He just blows that kind of stuff off. You know, He's like, oh yeah, men, women, they're, they're all meaningful to me, and I love them all. And you know what? The first people to see the resurrection are going to be women. And I'm going to need it to you men who are all your arrogance, you know. They listen to Him and they're like, you're not trustworthy, you're women. You're crazy. How frustrated do you think they were? Sitting there with the greatest story ever told, not just in their hearts, but in their mouths. They just told it. And nobody believes. Folks, living in the new world can be frustrating, can't it? Interpreting your life in light of this, it, it can be so hard, especially when the people around you don't buy it at all. They don't believe a word of this. It all seems like foolishness. If you've ever lived next to that, or with that, or maybe the part of your heart wrestling with the doubt and the wonder of it, even if you really believe it, there's part of you, I don't know. It can be so hard. This world can be so frustrating. It's because the old world, though it is dead, is not yet gone. And so living in what is coming, we are already in it, but not yet. It can be really frustrating, but but it can also have this effect. And Peter rose and ran to the tomb. 
you know, those, on that, that crowd of women watching these people disbelieve, I wonder how many of them saw him leave. And went, huh, maybe one of them got it. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter, the one who denied, suddenly wondering, maybe there's hope after all. Is there hope for me? In this new world, will there be hope for me? But whether there is or not, God is an amazing God if He's done this. God is a remarkable and stunning God. If He can fix death, He can fix anything. Maybe even me. Maybe even me. Folks, this is the world I live in, anyway. I, I, you may have heard once or twice, if I pray, how do my prayers end? Come soon, Lord Jesus. Because I live in that world even though I'm not home yet. But my heart longs for it. I'm tired of the empty lake. I'm tired of the sorrows and the pains and the failures and the defeats. I'm tired of seeing you go through those. I'm tired of everyone hurting all the time. None of that will be around when the new world finally comes. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. You have inaugurated. Bring it to its consummation. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait. And every time I think of it, Peter, it fills me with wonder, with hope, with longing. Because God has done this for us. We live in this place where the two exist together. Now. But that one in the background, it won't be here much longer. It might be here longer than I am. Longer than you are. But not forever. Its claims on the universe are impermanent. They are fading. They are dying. They are going away. And the new world is the world as it will be into eternity. This is our hope. This is what He's brought to us. And because of that, no matter what comes, we can take it. We can sit beside the dry lake bed. We can sin in grief. We can sit in suffering because we don't mourn as others do who have no hope. We have this great hope burning within us. This yearning and this knowledge that we are already citizens of the next place. It's already done for us. And it's not anything that we did. It's not because we deserve it. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great power of God and the Word of God at work within us that draws us out of what we are and into what we will be. This is the power of the new come upon us. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How are you doing with this? My sense is that these two things are slippery if we try to hold them together. We tend to let go of one or the other. We tend to forget the world and our mission in it, or we tend to forget the hope 
and live in despair. But the Word of God calls us to remember they are both here. They are both real. And something wondrous is coming for us. For everybody. Is bought and paid for. If you are living in a, in a place of despair, listen, that makes sense. Or at least it would if the dry lake was all that was real. If you are living in a place of pain and hurt and sorrow and shame and pain and defeat, hear the Word of God this morning and new life is available to you. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you haven't started walking with Him, there's no better day than today to begin. But if you are hurting this morning and you need the prayers of the church, we want to pray for you. And I hope you'll let us. If you came here today and you're carrying a heavy burden, it's got nothing to do with what I've talked about, but you just need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, let us know. If this morning you're subject to the call of Christ Jesus our Lord, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing.